0: Now that is just a very short snippet of Galatians chapter 4, just the first seven verses. And it is, it is special. It's this Abba Father. It is a, the, Abba, the Abba Father is its Aramaic word. It's a phrase that means the closest we've got is Daddy. It's this personal, the most personal way we can refer to, we can speak of our great God. And it's the Holy Spirit in us that enables that Relationship—that's what this passage is really about. But before we get to that, I want to show you a couple of T-shirts and see what you think. This one, first up: keep all my dad jokes in a database. <laughs> That's a pretty good one, isn't it? I'm going to be using that all the time now. I'm not stubborn; it's just my ideas are better. That's one for my kids, especially. Yeah, well, they're over at the Beach Mission, so I better not pick on them too much. And of course, this one, another one of my favourites. We've been getting a lot of dairy on the mission, and I don't dairy dairy well, so I, this shirt's super appropriate. So if there's a few little punctuation marks in the sermon, you will know why. Oh, come on. <laughs> Loosen up, people. All right, zero days without a dad joke, that's me. And of course, this is for you if you can all survive church this morning. You can all be a dad joke survivor. And, of course, my last one, context matters. Context matters. The context matters for this little passage from Galatians. It is smack bang in the middle of not one, two, three, four, five, but six kind of amazing proofs, doctrines for Christianity. Six six things that all us Christians must know. And they're so important that I thought I would preach a six-point sermon this morning, keep us here till 12 o'clock, and then the kids go home. Actually, no, we're going to break it up and do it over about three months next year, the book of Galatians. But this one, we're just taking a snippet and I'm going to do a bit of rapid fire here before I pray and then we get into unpacking this bit of text. But let me go through the six things that the Apostle Paul talks about. The first one, he explains that we receive the Holy Spirit of God. It's a gift poured out to all who believe, all who have faith in the risen Jesus. He explains that this, it's a gift and it's not because of anything we do. It's about faith. It doesn't matter how good a person we are, what morals we keep or specific laws, none of it. It's a gift from God for all Christians. The second one he gives us, Paul draws on the traditions and the evidence kind of spread out in the Old Testament and he talks about us Christians. He proves that we are all sons of Abraham and as such we are all inheritors to the promises given to Abraham by God. The third one, he kind of uses the the law of the land, if you will. He explains the connection between adoption and inheritance. And if we're all adopted by God in Christ, then we all receive an inheritance. And again, that's the Spirit, eternal life, all of those wonderful things that we don't work for, that we accept and receive. The fourth one, I told you there's six. He lays out the key aspects of the Christian faith, baptism. Who Jesus is, the Holy Spirit, he kind of gives us this whole, the closest we get in the Scriptures, I think, to the Trinity. The Trinity doesn't appear in that word in the Scriptures. It is a word we use to explain our God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, and that really happens here in Galatians 2. The fifth one, which is the one we're talking about today, Paul kind of uses this relational language. He urges us Christians to grab hold of the gift that God has given us. Grab hold of it, to step forward, to step out, to step up, and not to backslide. And the last one, he draws out the meaning behind this Old Testament story of Sarah, or Sarai, and Abram, Abraham's wife, and Hagar, his, wife, May, his wife's maid, uses the language of the free and the slaves to show that what we Christians receive is freedom, not slavery. Sin is slavery. Freedom is what we have. We have the freedom not to sin. And that's what he... Yeah. Galatians is just fantastic. I, I, I love it. And, I, and just trying to do this sermon this week with this small little passage, I kind of went, oh, that's all, that's all there. And, and that's why we're going to do a whole, whole season on it next year. Look forward to that. Small snippet. I'm going to pray. We'll open up Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to find out how and why we should and what, why we can call God Daddy. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great love. Open our hearts, open our minds to your word, your way. You are the truth and the life. And we just ask for more of that, more knowledge of that. And make it more personal this morning with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Rapid fire. Take a breath. Galatians chapter four, verse one. Kind of Paul opens here with this language around the, of what a first century child is. In their culture, children had no real identity, no personhood, no autonomy. It's as if children were literal slaves. There was no asking permission before changing a nappy. That's apparently a thing, did you know? Asking permission before changing a nappy. Setting up, but there's only this setting up a grazing board of, of different choice foods so a child may choose exactly what they're gonna eat for dinner. Do you know how and why my children eat their food? Well, when they were young, this is going to be a bit traumatic for some, if they wouldn't eat their dinner, they wouldn't get their dessert. I mean, who's done that? Well, you know what I did to up the ante? I would eat their dessert in front of them. (laughs) I know. There will be therapy later. (laughs) Children were slaves. They did what they were told. Received what they were given, or harsh punishment would follow. So what's important for us to know is that a child, even the firstborn male in this culture, the firstborn male, the parents' wealth was out of reach for them. That is, until they became of age. Now, they came of age at a date set by the parents, set by the father. But before this time, all of the power and wealth of the parents, well, it was meaningless to them. At best, they might be able to sample a little bit of what their parents enjoyed. It's a bit like chocolate. The kids get a square, I get the block. That's how it is. When they go to bed at night, I saw this great clip on YouTube once and it just stuck with me. And what happens when kids go to bed and mum and dad sit on the lounge and then they've just got chocolate skin showered on them. And that's our house. We do that. Don't tell them. I can only share that one because they're not here. It's a bit like chocolate, right? Let's read Galatians 4 verse 1 and see what, where it takes us. This is Paul. Apostle Paul. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, that's what I was talking about a minute ago, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. So like a child who has not yet come of age, the Galatians were, were previously had previously only tasted a little bit. They got that one square of chocolate, I suppose, of the spiritual things. And actually, they were slaves to these spiritual forces. But now, as Paul will explain next, everything has changed. For the Galatians, for all people, a time has been set, a line has been drawn in the sand, and we are all to grow up. We are to grow up. An opportunity has come to take hold of the true inheritance. That time is now. Have a look at verse four. But when the set time had come fully, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, all this has happened, to redeem that you and me, those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now put a pin in sonship. It's not sexist, it's not exclusive. We're going to talk about that in a second. Let me come back to it. But first, Paul is saying here that Christ's birth, his death, his resurrection, it secures for all believers the full rights of a son, the firstborn son. In Christ, we we get to grow up, and I'm shifting from you, from the Galatians to us, because we've got to remember this book was written to the Galatians, but it applies to us. These things are truths. So he's speaking, Galatians, he's speaking to us. In Christ, we are no longer slaves to our old ways, to our old religions, or even the new religions for that matter. We are no longer slaves to those things. We are not to live on the spiritual scraps. People often might sit on the beach or just look at God and think, oh, wow, it's wonderful, and that can be renewing. But they are spiritual scraps compared to the Holy Spirit that is for all Christians. Amen. We're no longer slaves to old religions or old ways. And when we have this Holy Spirit, God is so much bigger than a sunset, than an amazing cloud formation, or as nice as those things are. In Christ, we are given new titles, sons and daughters of God. We who are male and female, we are both sons. In this context, sons of God. So now we're sons. Now, this is not sexist, as I said. See, Paul is using sons here. If you notice the the translation we use, it translates, where the Bible uses the language of a male, and it clearly means male and female, the the translators will put male and female, because that was the intention. But they didn't in this passage, because it is just sons. The word sons is a legal title. It's not about male and female, it's a legal title. Just like the oldest son in their day would have received the farm, received the inheritance, God has given this privilege to everyone, to us all. He's using the language of the patriarchy, yes, but it expresses a powerful truth that we cannot ignore and it should not deter from this. Let me me explain it this way. Say for just a moment that you thought you'd been written out of your parents' will. That your parents had been deceived and they didn't like you anymore. That you were not the favour. Maybe others are getting the inheritance and you're getting nothing. You've kind of come to the conclusion your parents are mean and nasty and they don't like you very much. They don't love you. And then your parents pass away and you discover in their death this was all false. And they've left you the everything. All of it is given to you. And those who were deceiving, those who were mean, they're the ones who have been excluded, but you get the lot. You realize that your parents love you deeply. Would you not, in this moment, be forced to think differently about them? To realize how much they loved you? And in this case, the, the metaphor shifts. This is how we are to think about God, to see Him in a new light. And that new light is this, expressed by the Apostle Paul in verse 6. Because you are his sons, that's all of us, full inheritors, all the legal rights of a firstborn, first century son. God sent the Spirit, his Holy Spirit, of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Now there's that odd phrase. They don't even translate. They just leave it as Abba because the word is just... We need to take it what it is. Daddy is the closest thing we have, but this is a new word, a new way, and it's radical. For pagans, gods were mean and nasty. We, were, we are their playthings. To say that we can speak of God as not just father, but as daddy, well, it's personal, it's special, and it's radical. Please let me share another story. Now, I often joke with my family about my dad, he's, he's a bit emotionally immature, we would say. I mean no disrespect, I love my dad very much, and, and his kind of emotional immaturity, he just doesn't have the ability to express his feelings like we new age blokes. <laughs> it was a result of his culture and upbringing, and that's fine. But when I was about nine, my parents gave me a birthday present that was just so far out of my expectations that I was just overcome, you know, it was it was great present. It was a radio-controlled aeroplane, okay? Look, it was important to me, but it was, it was so far out, and I suspect far out of their budget too. And then I just turned to Dad and said, Dad, can I give you a kiss? Not even thinking twice. And he's like, oh, okay, bit of a stumble. So I gave him a big hug, gave him a kiss, it was very spiky, that's what I remember. <laughs> I love when my kids do that, you give them a kiss, and they go, ah, oh, it's spiky, Dad, you are sure right it is? <laughs> with you because before this moment my father was just my father but after that day he became my daddy and our relationship was forever changed more closer more personal now let me ask this question is God your father yeah but is God your daddy is the relationship that personal that special if it isn't then you're missing out on something Hugely important. Something of utmost importance. You're missing out on a great blessing to know God this way. If it helps, start thinking about what God has done for you. The lengths he has gone to. Think about the cross, the forgiveness, what his mercy cost. All for you. Think about the place He is preparing for you in heaven as we speak. This is a father like no other. And against all odds, you are his son, the firstborn, entitled to it all. And he is your daddy. Have a look at Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Paul kind of flushes this out a little bit more for us. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption, When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit, it's like that kiss, that we are children of God. Let me wrap this up with just three short things. Firstly, there is no backsliding. We have not been given a spirit of fear. When things get difficult and tough, we don't slide back into the old ways. We step forward knowing that God has got us both hands. You are a son, a daughter of God. Second thing, we, not only do we get to call God daddy, but the truth is we can't help ourselves. It just comes out. We can't help ourselves when we speak of Jesus, when we speak of God. That's what's coming out. When people hear it, they're going to think, wow, that's a, a close relationship because it is. There is no closer relationship. And when we know his spirit, when we are filled with his spirit, we can't help but share and pour it out. I mean, that's why there are 18 people out there with us as well, serving the children of Stockton, so they can hear the gospel message. They just can't help themselves and spreading that good news. Third thing, God's not distant. He's not sitting on a cloud, kind of watching from far. What are they going to do next? smite you and let you go. That's not what God's doing. He's close. He's personal. And if you're unsure for even one second about your relationship with God, if it's not as personal as I'm trying to get across, then, then pray with me. Practically speaking, we're going to encounter him when we read the Scriptures. We're going to encounter him when we gather Christ says, where two or more are gathered, I am there also. He is here right now. That personal relationship is with and around you and through you and in you. This is the relationship we have with our great God. Now, I know there are seasons, I have seasons, where I get a bit tired and a bit slack. I start to kind of think, oh, maybe God's just a bit of a watchmaker and he's just letting everything happen. We're just doing the treadmills of what we must do. And sometimes I think maybe God's a bit of a dictator. He's just out there kind of directing things, like one of those people sitting in a director's chair. But then I stop and I realise, as soon as I open the scriptures again and start reading about this Jesus of Nazareth, and I realise, no, God is close. He's personal. And he made it personal, didn't he? When he stepped into the creation in the person of Jesus, he made it deeply personal. He allowed himself to suffer as we suffer. He allowed himself to be killed on that cross to defeat death, to defeat sin, and to restore us, to enable this relationship with our great God. His spirit is a spirit of love, and it's for you, it's for me, it's for us all. It has been poured out upon us all. Now I want to pray. Maybe we should just stand and just, just, just sit in that for a moment. Just going to ask God just to give his spirit, give us that... A little bit more of a hug. I'm going to open my hands because what I receive, I like to receive. This is how I receive a gift. You can do this if you want, but your body language, our body language says a lot. We don't receive a gift like this. If your parents come up to you and say, I've got a great Christmas present for you, you, go. you reckon they're going to want to give it to you? You're not going to want to receive. But this is something different. Whatever you're comfortable with, just going to pray simply and openly for that Spirit of God to come upon us once more. So would you please stand and we'll pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great love. We pray, come, Holy Spirit. We're two or more gathered. You promised, Jesus, you are with us and we know you are present. We know you are powerful. Lord, there are people here amongst us today who are a bit drained from the Christmas season, all the giving out all the family, all of that stuff that goes on, all of those good things. But good things drain us too when we come to you, Lord Jesus, and we pray, come, Holy Spirit. Remind us of your love. Give us a great big hug so we can continue to praise your name. Come, Lord Jesus. Fill us with your spirit as you did the first Christians, as you have done For countless sins. Come, Lord Jesus. In your power and presence, we praise you. Thank you.